Our sermon text this morning is Leviticus 14, verses 43 through 57. Now if the plague comes back and breaks out in the house, after he has taken away the stones, after he has scraped the house, and after it is plastered, then the priest shall come and look. And indeed, if the plague has spread in the house, it is unclean. And he shall break down the house, its stones. And he shall carry them outside the city to an unclean place. Moreover, he who goes into the house at all while it is shut up shall be unclean until evening. And he who lies down in the house shall wash his clothes. And he who eats in the house shall wash his clothes. But if the priest comes in and examines it, and indeed the plague has not spread in the house after the house was plastered, then the priest shall pronounce the house clean, because the plague is healed. And he shall take to cleanse the house two birds, cedar wood, scarlet, and hyssop. Then he shall kill one of the birds in an earthen vessel over running water, and he shall take the cedar wood, the hyssop, the scarlet, and the living bird, and dip them in the blood of the slain bird, and in the running water, and sprinkle the house seven times. And he shall cleanse the house with the blood of the bird, and the running water, and the living bird, with the cedar wood, the hyssop, and the scarlet. Then he shall let the living bird loose outside the city, in the open field, and make atonement for the house, and it shall be clean. This is the law for any leprous sore and scale, for the leprosy of a garment and of a house, for a swelling and a scab and a bright spot, to teach them it is unclean, to teach to teach when it is unclean and when it is clean. This is the law of leprosy. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, dear God, as you've taken us through these passages, as you've taken us through the picture of leprosy in many different ways, dear Lord, and leprosy in the house, and leprosy that is able to be cleaned up, leprosy that's not been able to cleaned up. You show us, dear God, the, the power of sin. You show us the seriousness of it. You show us the detail with which you prescribe to deal with it and how that detail transcends or, or translates from the physical to the spiritual, from, the, from just the, the house in a nation to a house in your kingdom to a house that you've established where you show that there is sin. I pray, dear Lord, that you would help us to hear your words, that we would understand that the sacrifice that was offered back then, dear Lord, was insufficient, and that the sacrifice that you've offered is the only thing that is sufficient to cleanse, that there is nothing other than your blood that can wash away sin. There is nothing other than the atonement that you've offered that is sufficient that we would believe in it, that we would have faith in it, and we would also understand that it requires that work be done, not by our own power, but by your power, by the ongoing work of your atonement, by the ongoing power that you have given, dear Lord, and that we would do these things in the world, that we would see them, that we would care for them, and that we would go forth and do the work that you've given us to do, that we might proclaim your name to be great, that we might worship you. Amen.
So as we continue to consider how to respond to leprosy in a house, again, as I talked about last week, I think that the, the primary spiritual application of this is to a local body, to a local church. When you think about that, you think that God says, if it's not dealt with, just tear down the house. Carry it outside the camp. That's pretty serious. That's, God is saying he would rather have churches destroyed than to have them continue with sin in them. You know, I was driving around yesterday, and you pass a whole bunch of churches. And I was looking at those churches and thinking, if the church, the visible church, the real church, those who truly believe in the gospel were faithful, all those churches wouldn't exist. You drive all these, past all these churches that absolutely have rejected who God is. You know, you look at how many denominations have embraced homosexuality, where homosexuality, God says in Romans 1, is a clear sign that they don't want to know who God is. They don't want to retain God in their knowledge. There are so many churches around that are filled with leprosy. Spiritual leprosy. And the church doesn't do anything about it. The true church does little about it. They clearly don't know God. They don't know who he was. They don't know what the Bible says that you have to believe in in order to be saved. They don't have saving faith, but yet they mislead people and say that they're Christians. But we shouldn't just think that it's the United Methodists, the Roman Catholics, the Pentecostals that have twisted the word of God beyond recognition so that they're calling themselves a church when they're actually not a church at all. Think about the Southern Baptist Convention. The Southern Baptist Convention is struggling with what's the purpose of the church? Is it to worship God or is it to push critical race theory? Or to get closer to home with Reformed Baptists for 20 years, the American Reformed Baptist Association of America covered up for a pedophile. Covered up for a, a man who, lay, who sinned greatly against little boys. And the church covered up. So we shouldn't just think it's that there's these other places out there. We should even think people who profess to be Reformed Baptists, they're the same. <coughs> and after all that, after covering up, They promote them to be the principal of a school. That's how sick it is. This is the state of the church. It's hardly the testimony of a a denomination that actually has any idea who God is. And this should really concern us because God says through Malachi, one of the reasons that he judged Judah in Malachi 1, 10, 11 Who is there even among you who would shut the doors so that you would not kindle the fire on my altar in vain? I have no pleasure in you, says the Lord of hosts, nor will I accept an offering from your hands. For from the rising of the sun, even to its going down, my name shall be great among the Gentiles. And every place incense shall be offered to my name in a pure offering. 
For my name shall be great among the nations, says the Lord of hosts. Christ came and he shut the doors. He shut the doors on the temple, as Chris just read. He destroyed it. He caused it in 70 AD so that there was not one stone remaining on another. That's what God said he would do so that his name would be great among the nations. But now we as the body of Christ aren't concerned that much that there's all these people who call themselves Christians who say they worship God when the words that they speak are clearly contrary to who God declared himself to be. Or they declare that their works are godly when it's evidence that they're of the flesh and they're not of the spirit. And that causes the name of Christ to be a mockery throughout the earth. So that instead of fearing God, people use his name as a curse word. The body of Christ is supposed to fulfill this law. It's supposed to make a difference between the clean and the unclean. That's why he appointed us priests. That's why when we're saved, everyone who's saved becomes a priest. And the role of a priest is to say, this is clean and this is unclean. It's supposed to carry the torn down remains of a church that apostized outside of the camp, outside of the city. It's the body of Christ. We should be doing the works of Christ. He shut down the false worship. That's what he did when he came in the flesh. For the same reason, because of all these false churches, the name of God is not known to be great and the churches have to be shut down so that the name of God is known to be great among the Gentiles. That's the state of the church. The Gentiles think that Christ bows down to them rather than seeing the greatness of his name. When we consider this passage, don't think it's just applying it to people who are far off. As a believer, as a priest in the order of Melchizedek, Ask yourself what you should be doing to cause that building that's filled with leprosy to be carried outside the city. Because each of us have a responsibility to do that. When God reveals it, when God causes, when the owner of the house tells the priest there's leprosy in the house, the priest has a responsibility. Each of you is a believer. If you're a believer, you have a responsibility. So don't think this passage is about other people. And, of course, we should always check and make sure that our house isn't the one with leprosy. But if our house isn't the one with leprosy, we should be asking ourselves as priests, what should we be doing to tear down these false houses of worship that fill the land, that fill the world? Verses 33 through, excuse me, 43 through 47. Now, if the plague comes back and breaks out in the house, after he has taken away the stones, after he has scraped the house, after it is plastered, then the priest shall come and look. Indeed, if the plague has spread in the house, it is an act of leprosy in the house. It is unclean. And he shall break down the house, its stones, its timber, and all the plaster of the house. And he shall carry them outside the city to an unclean place. Moreover, he who goes into the house at all, while it is shut up, shall be unclean until evening. 
And he who lies down in the house shall wash his clothes, and he who eats in the house shall wash his clothes. So it starts with now. This is after talking about that if the owner of the house comes and tells a priest that there's leprosy in the house, that you go and examine it, and if you see the leprosy in the house, that the leprous stones were to be removed, the, the plaster was to be scraped, and all of it was supposed to be carried outside the city to an unclean place. So it cer- certainly appears based on that, that there is a point in judgment that happens after this time that you either destroy the house or you declare it to be clean. So this has to be after a specific time period because otherwise when would you know when to sacrifice the bird? So since for the person in Leviticus 13.5 and for the garment in Leviticus 13.54, it was shut up for a second set of seven days. The logical assumption here is that it's supposed to be set up for or shut up for seven days again. So after it's shut up for the first seven days and you see if it's spread, the second seven days you come and then it's examined again. So now after that second period of being shut up, if the plague comes back, if removing the plaster, if removing the stones, if it didn't take care of the leprosy, if it breaks out in the house, if that red or green plague can be seen in the house, if you didn't actually eliminate it, this plague that is in the walls after you've taken away the stones. And again, I think the picture here is like with heresy is you get you throw out the heretics that brought it into the church. You teach and you explain the heresy and you make sure that people understand. That's the picture of, of taking the stones as the picture of excommunication. And after he scraped the house as the picture of... of looking and seeing, so where did that false doctrine, what is it affecting what's being taught, how does it affect what, what people are thinking? And you teach and you replaster it after it's been plastered, after the truth has been declared. Not just that the errors have been removed, but an explanation of the truth has been given and put into place for the doctrine of the church. Then the question becomes, did the church listen? Or do they still follow the false teaching? Does the heresy break out again? So then the priest shall come and look. The priest who was called in the first place, the one who the owner of the house declared that the leprosy was there, declared too that the leprosy was there. They have a responsibility. They have a responsibility to go back and make sure that it was really dealt with. And not just to say, well, I declared the truth. I told them what the true doctrine was, so I'll leave. No, they have responsibility to go back and say, did they go back to their old ways? Were they like the dog that returned to its vomit? Or do they actually go, this is truth, and embrace the truth? The priest has a responsibility to go and make sure. Make sure that, that they actually embrace truth rather than lies. They actually put the sin out from among them. It's the responsibility of the true church, the true priest, to cast out the false churches so that the greatness of the name of God would be known among the Gentiles. So then and indeed, and, it's, and that word indeed means like behold, see it. You can look and you can see. They were supposed to look. They were supposed to examine it. They were supposed to say, 
has this leprosy, has this, has this accepting of sin or this accepting of heresy, has this just continued, has it broken out again? Or did the excommunications and the scraping of the plaster actually solve the problem? And if upon examination, if upon looking at it, they see it, and they shouldn't be surprised if they see it because it breaks out a lot. A lot of times if you try to deal with it, it comes back. And so if the plague spreads in the house, if the plague that was there before that was removed, if it comes back, if it has the same red or green or whatever color it was, if it's in the walls, if it's streaks ingrained in the walls, if it's back, then it's an act of leprosy in the house. Even though it looked like it was cured, everything that could be done to eliminate it had been done, and it still came back, then it's an act of leprosy. And that word translated active really means more like bitter or painful. This is a leprosy that is still causing pain. It's still causing pain to the church. If that leprosy is known and it's exposed and the, those who brought the sin in are dealt with and put outside. But if things are put in place to stop it from happening again and it starts happening again, then it can't be recovered from. That's what God's saying. At that point, you just tear it down. He doesn't want that church anymore. He doesn't want them to be calling themselves Christians anymore. If the church goes back to lies after it's been told truth, if the church goes back to to wallowing in sin when it's been shown what it means to walk in the light, then God would just rather it be gone. He'd rather it be destroyed. There's a different level of pain with the leprosy when it comes back, when the people didn't care enough, when the people didn't actually deal with it, and they just let it continue. And it's an act of leprosy. It's, it's growing painfulness. It's growing bitterness. It's growing, it's, it's growing to hurt the city. It's growing to hurt the people of God. And it should be destroyed. It is unclean. Again, this is the church, not just the people in it. The whole local body has become a body that is not bringing glory to God. Because what brings glory to God is when when people see the people of God being holy. When you look at like the United Methodists ordaining homosexual women as, as bishops, that is the opposite of what Christ came for. That is exactly the opposite of why he died. When you see a Roman Catholic priest who says he can reach up into heaven and, and drag Jesus Christ down and slaughter him on the altar, that is the opposite of what Christ died for. He died so that people would see that he is glorious, that he is mighty, that he is powerful, that he is holy. Not that he's the, the puppet of men. And this is... God says it's better for these things just to be destroyed completely. The whole body can become a body that's not bringing glory to God when discipline is not handled properly. We should remember if they don't get rid of the leaven, leaven will grow and it will spread and it will take over the lump. 
That's the picture here. If the leprosy comes back, you're supposed to assume that the leaven has gone through the whole thing and just tear it down, destroy it, remove it before it destroys other and damages other churches around it, other buildings around it. So he shall break down the house. The house is to be destroyed. It's to be cast down to the ground, just as God did to the temple in Jerusalem. Make it so that not one stone remains upon another. This would be a real sacrifice. But remember, it was the owner of the house who said that there was leprosy there, who pointed out there was leprosy to the priest. It's the owner of the house that did it going, I'd rather not have the building there than to have leprosy in the building. Before he said it, he had to know there's a chance that the building would just be torn down. And he's saying, I'd rather have the building torn down than have it continue where the sin isn't dealt with, where the leprosy isn't gotten rid of, where there's mold growing in the walls. So it's to break down the house. It's stones. The stones, again, represents people. For we are a spiritual house that's built out of living stones, is what it says in 1 Peter. The church is leprous. And the leprosy is pointed out, and people keep going there. It's not just about the church now. It's about them their testimony is that they are also leprous. It's important to recognize we all have responsibility for the church that we're part of. The deal with sin in that church is not just the prominent stones, it's not just the elders, it's not just the deacons, it's not just the people who, who people look up to that have the responsibility. Every Christian that's there has the responsibility to deal with sin in the church. And if they just sit there with sin in the church... And God goes, there's leprosy here. He's going, you're outside the camp as well. You're in an unclean place as well. You can't just sit back and say, well, other people didn't do anything. God actually says, no, I can hold you guilty for that. If you think you can go to the church and have it wallow in sin, when the sin is brought out and you can just sit there and accept it, God's saying, you don't know me. You don't know me. You are not holy. You are unclean. And remember all this stuff. All this is given so that we can understand what the clean and the unclean are. And he's saying, if you're in a church and you don't deal with the sin when the sin's exposed, you're unclean. And it's timber, not just in stones, but it's timber. The timber would be used to tie it together at the top to, to be able to have a roof on it. It's the infrastructure, if you will. When sin is not dealt with properly in the church so that it comes back, then the structure of the church has problems. The structure needs to change. It's not just the stones that are there. The way that it was put together is a problem. The way a church is to put together its constitution, its bylaws, all these things, they're put together to protect it against leprosy, to protect it against sin coming into the church. And if it, and if it can't deal with sin, if it doesn't deal with it su- successfully, the answer is there's a problem with the structure. And the plaster of the house. What the people can see, the outward work of the church 
needs to be declared as tainted by serious sin. The teaching of the church needs to be declared to be tainted with sin so that others don't follow in that path. That's how serious God takes leprosy. That's how serious God takes the spiritual leprosy, not the physical leprosy. But he's saying it it affects everything. When there's leaven in the unleavened lump, the, the church should just be destroyed. He shall carry them outside the city. The priest is to make it clear that these are separated from the people of God. Because they'll affect and they'll damage others. When all these things are being held out, when all the stones are being removed, the timbers, the, the pile of plaster, and it's carried through the street, everybody's going to go, this is not, this is not part of the people of God. Everyone would understand the seriousness of it. The labor involved to tear it down would have been obvious. The role of the priest is to make the clean and the unclean known. And when God destroys a church, when the people of God do everything they can to destroy the church, everything they righteously can to destroy the church, because it is leprous, that is a testimony about the seriousness that God takes sin. And remember how serious he took sin. He sent his own son to die so that sin could be dealt with. Carry him outside the city to an unclean place. It's taken to be taken where the people know this is unclean. This is the place of refuse. This is the place where, like outside of Jerusalem, where they would take all the garbage from the city and there would be a fire burning there constantly. This is where you take the stones. This is where you take the, the timber and the plaster. A place where everybody goes, that's a picture of those who have been rejected by God. That's how seriously God takes sin in this church. And it says, moreover, people should not just think that the house is affected. They shouldn't think that it's just the churches that are affected. But he who goes into the house, everyone that enters that house, everyone who visited that church, they should recognize when the church is destroyed that they were affected at some level by that error. So that they should make sure that they don't carry the leprosy with them. If you go into the house at all, even in so, some small contact with that building, after, after the leprosy, after the sin has been exposed, they should understand it affects them. Because it's when it's been shut up. I think this is either the first time when the leprosy was first found, then it was shut up for seven days to, to see if it would spread and, or during the second period, which was probably also for another seven days, to see it would come back. If they entered at all, they had any contact with it, they need to understand it will affect them. It will make them unclean. Now, it doesn't affect them forever. They're unclean until evening. But it does mean we shouldn't think that we've listened to this person who was a heretic we find out later he's a heretic. Oh, yeah, let's, let's just go back and consider the things that he wrote before. That's not what you do. That's not what you do. Because the sin is that serious. We don't take sin nearly as seriously as God takes sin. God sent his own son to die. That's how seriously God takes sin. And I guarantee none of us take sin as seriously as God does. None of us do. 
It shall be unclean until evening. It has a real negative effect. They need to make sure that they aren't carrying it with them, being around sin, even when it's being dealt with, even when you're involved in dealing with sin, even dealing with it properly. Don't deceive yourself. It still has an effect on you. And that effect has to be watched. It has to make sure that it doesn't manifest itself in what you do and the thoughts that you have and the things that you choose to do. But it does have an effect. But it's only for a short term. There's unclean until evening. But the one who lies down in the house, who spent more time there, who was more involved, they need to understand it had a greater effect on them. And so they need to deal with that greater effect. They have to wash their clothes. We talked about it before. Washing the clothes is a picture of examining your deeds, examining how being in the house affected what you were doing. Being around sin, working with sin, means that we need to wash our clothes. We need to examine it and say, how are these false beliefs? How are these things that I, I had contact with, that I joined with at some level, how did they affect me? How did being in that house, after it was exposed, after the sin was exposed, how did being in that house affect me? We need to make sure that we're not carrying any of the effects forward from that sin. Sin is very pernicious. It gets into little cracks. So we need to be washing our clothes in the water of the word. We need to be going, what would God say that I should do? We all need to do this, but especially after we've been, been come in contact, had, had you know, laid down in the house, had real, real uh, influence by it. We need to go, how do I get cleansed from this? And then he who eats in the house, and I think lying down is like a picture of joining with the church for work. Eating is a picture of consuming its teaching. When you have consumed the teaching of a place, after the sin has been exposed, then you should expect it to have a bad effect on you and what you would consider acceptable in the future. When we're exposed to sin, it it is very easy to become hardened to that sin and to not see the effect of it in our own lives. But you have to wash your clothes. You need to make sure that you're not embracing it, that you're not that you haven't consumed it so that you go, yeah, the whole thing's wrong, but this little part's okay. Because that's pretty normal. So you have to watch for that. You have to cleanse it to make sure you're not carrying it forward. Verses 48 through 53. But if the priest comes in and examines it, and indeed the plague has not spread in that house after the, in the house after the house was plastered, Then the priest shall pronounce the house clean because the plague is healed. And he shall take to cleanse the house two birds, cedar wood, scarlet, and hyssop. Then he shall kill one of the birds in an earthen vessel over running water. And he shall take the cedar wood, the hyssop, the scarlet, and the living bird and dip them in the blood of the slain bird and in the running water and sprinkle the house seven times. And he shall cleanse the house with the blood of the bird and the running water and the living bird with the cedar wood, the hyssop, and the scarlet. Then he shall let the living bird loose outside the city in the open field and make atonement for the house, and it shall be clean. So now it's the opposite case, which is why I think it's a fixed period of time. Because if you come in and you see that the 
the leprosy is spread, then the whole house gets torn down. But if the priest comes in and doesn't see it spread, so this is the the hopeful part of the passage. It isn't just that that Christ came and died so that the churches could be filled with sin. That's not what he died for. He died to make a holy people. He died to make a people who would who would see the worship of so that others would see their worship. Others would see how they live, and other and they would say, "God is great, and He is glorious because of it." God didn't just come to save sinners. He came to, to establish the church and not just the, the universal church, the invisible church, but also to establish local bodies. And he sanctifies them and he cleanses them so that when there is sin found in a church, you don't have to go, well, there's no hope. That's the opposite. Christ made it so that there could be hope, so that the sin could be dealt with, that it could be removed and the leprosy could stop spreading. That never happened with Israel. With Israel, it just kept spreading. Israel, regardless of what God did, their sin just continued and continued to spread. But that's not the promise that God has given to his church. The promise that he's given to his church is he made atonement. He made atonement for local bodies. So it's possible for a local body to see serious sin, to deal with the sin and to not have it spread. Christ did make it so that the house could be healed. So if the priest comes in and examines it, again, he's supposed to look, a real desire to see it as it is. There's a lot of times where people come in and they look at the church and they go, everything's fine because they don't actually want to see it. They don't actually want to examine it. They don't want to see the sin. But here when the priest comes in, he's supposed to actually examine it. He's supposed to find it if he can. Because sin matters. Dealing with sin matters. And ignoring it, closing your eyes to it, that never helps. That always hurts. It never helps. It often happens frequently that there's serious problems in the church. And maybe it's dealt with superficially, but people want to ignore it. They don't want to go. There's ongoing effects of it. They don't want to see if the plague is actually spread. But true priests are supposed to look and say, is it still here? Are the effects still here? And indeed, if the plague has not spread, if they looked and they examined it and they could not see it, it's no longer part of the structure of the church. It's no longer, it's not spread to other stones. It's not still affecting the teaching of the church. If it's not spread in the house, then after, after the house has been plastered, after the problem was dealt with, after it was scraped, after it was, after the the effects of the sin have been removed and replaced then God can make it so that the leprosy doesn't spread he can restore a church to faithfulness he can restore churches to holiness but it's very related to how sin is dealt with when it's exposed do you deal with it do you put it out or do you deal with it and you just kind of superficially try to deal with it without actually removing it, without actually digging into the wall and removing the stones. A church and how seriously it takes sin when sin is exposed in it has a lot to tell to say about the faithfulness of that church. 
in whether Christ died for that local body. So then he shall pronounce the house clean. He's to declare that it's clean, that the sin was dealt with properly. After the stones and plaster were removed and replaced, that, that it is a healthy place because the plague is healed. It's successfully been put out and has not come back. Then he shall take the fact that the building could be healed still required a sacrifice. Which is very clear that we're not talking about buildings here. We're not talking about how people's health is because, you know, they, there's mold in the building. That's not what this is about. This is about, it's, it's sacrificial. This is symbolic. That that sacrifice was made so that the house could be saved. Christ died so that his local churches could truly be his people. So it'll take to cleanse the house. For the house to be cleansed, a sacrifice needs to be made. And it's partly the same sacrifice that needed to be made when a leper was cleansed. But they needed to do more. They had to sacrifice three animals in addition to the two birds. But for the house, it's just the two birds. So the sacrifice was required, but it's not the... The main picture is that Jesus Christ died for his people. But he also died for his church collectively. And he also died for his local bodies. And we should recognize that the effect of the atonement, the effect of what Christ did comes down to local churches, that he made it so that local churches could put sin out from among them. So the house had to be cleansed. Sacrifice was required. Christ was sacrifice was required so that the local body could actually repent of sin because without the local body repenting of sin, without his sacrifice, that sin would remain on there because it's only through it's only through blood being shed that there can be forgiveness of sin. It's only through the shedding of the blood of Christ that even the sin in a local body can be forgiven. And it's not like Israel, where the leprosy in the house of God just kept coming back. Aaron's calf the whole way up to Christ's crucifixion. It's just that leprosy coming back over and over again. In Christ, the leprosy can be healed. So you take two birds. The details aren't given here because they were already related to Moses at the beginning of the chapter. I'm sure just like at the beginning of the chapter, they had to be living and clean. It's not about making the unholy appear holy. It's about showing and demonstrating how the holy became holy, how the clean became clean. And cedar wood, cedar again is a picture of stability and permanence. Cedar doesn't rot. So for the house, it's the idea that God preserves the church for a long time. When it successfully deals with sin, the church is protected from sin for a season because people's eyes are going to be more open to it. They're going to be more aware of how how destructive it is. <clears throat> Scarlet, a picture of luxury, of, of dwelling in pleasant places. The church dealing with sin makes it a place where it will have greater joy than it had before the sin was dealt with. And hyssop, hyssop's about spreading purity to others. When a church deals with sin the way that it should, it has an effect on the people around them. 
Remember what God promised Ezekiel. Ezekiel 36. Must have skipped it in my notes accidentally. read it because it's really important to understand why God has his church here Ezekiel 36 22 Therefore say to the house of Israel, Thus says the Lord God, I do not do this for your sake, O house of Israel, but for my holy name's sake, which you have profaned among the nations wherever you went. And I will sanctify my great name, which has been profaned among the nations, which you have profaned in their midst. And the nations shall know that I am the Lord, says the Lord God, when I am hallowed in you before their eyes." Then he goes on and says, I will take you from among the nations, gather you out of all countries, and bring you into your own land. And he says, I will give you a spirit, a new heart and a new spirit. Ezekiel is saying the reason that he saves people is for a testimony of who he is, for a testimony that the nations will know that, that he is God when we are made pure. And so hyssop is that picture when he purifies us, when he cleanses us. That's how the nations know who God is. That's how the nations understand who God is. So he shall kill one of the birds. Again, this is a picture of substitutionary atonement where one bird is let go because the other was sacrificed. The church becomes free to walk in the commandments of God because of the sacrifice of Christ. And that sacrifice was not just for individuals, not just for the invisible church, but even for local bodies. There's this picture that he took our sin so that as a people, as a group, we can walk in righteousness. And so it has to be in an earthen vessel, the picture that Christ had to take on flesh. He had to become like us for his sacrifice to be effectual. Over running water, the picture of running water is the picture of the giving of the Holy Spirit. Christ died so that he could give his spirit. And it's through his blood and through his spirit that we can be cleansed, that the power of sin can be broken, that even in the local church, that local churches can walk in holiness. Because God does cause his spirit to work in a church. And not just in the individuals of the church, but in the church itself. When we think of the lampstand in Revelation 2 and 3 where God threatens to remove the lampstand, it's the picture of the Spirit being removed from the church. Spirit is present in His churches. And the true destruction of the church is the building might still exist. They might still call themselves Christians. But when they lose the Holy Spirit, they're not anymore. When they don't have the Spirit of holiness... His sacrifice was so that the Holy Spirit could come upon the church. He shall take. He needs to take all of those things because they're all joined together. They're all made effectual through the sacrifice of Christ and through the work of the Holy Spirit. The cedar wood, the hyssop, the scarlet, and the living bird. He was to take all of them and dip them. 
The dipping is the picture that the perseverance of the church, the joy and good things in the church, the declaration of the gospel by the church, they're all effectual because God, Jesus Christ, was sacrificed and shed his blood and he sent forth the Holy Spirit. They're all made effectual. They all happened because of Christ's sacrifice. So you dip it in the blood of the slain bird in the running water. As the bird is killed, you have somebody pour water into a bowl so that the water and the blood are mixed together so that things can be dunked in. So it's a picture of the blood of Christ and the work of the Spirit that's making the church clean. It's making it free. Then you sprinkle the house seven times. Symbolically, it was done seven times to show that it was actually cleansed. Not just superficially, but actually cleansed. Christ's work is effectual. And he shall cleanse the house. He's effect, it's effectual in cleansing the local church. He will clean it. He can. The church can find serious sin in the midst of it. And God can still cleanse that church. If they'll deal with it, if they'll put the sin out, he can still heal it and he can still make it a place of, of joy and peace and all the things that God, Christ died so that the church would be a holy people that would be a testimony to the people around them. And the living bird with the cedar wood, the hyssop and the scarlet, all those things are dipped to symbolize what it truly means to be free. Preservation, that you spread the gospel, that you have abundant life. That's what God freely gives to us through his sacrifice on the church. And that's what he gives in the church, in the local body. These are the things that can be seen in the local body. And he sets the living bird loose. The bird goes free. The church is able to do the things that it should be doing. It doesn't need to be bound by that sin. That sin can be taken care of through the sacrifice of Christ. Outside the city in the open field. This is outside the city, but it's not the same picture. Not the picture of being put in the unclean place. This is a place of blessing for the bird. It's a place of freedom for the bird. Christ died for his church so his local church could be blessed. He makes atonement for the house. He reconciles his church. He reconciles the local body to himself. Sin always creates a separation between us and God. And God gave a means. God gave a means to cause the church to come back to him. When the church has sin in it and they do nothing about the sin, they stay separated from God. It's when the church deals with the sin. So many people, I'm talking about church discipline, they all want to make it about restoring the sinner. That's not the point. The point is to restore the relationship with God because God says, I came to have a holy people so that when they see holiness in you, when you are hallowed, that the nations will understand who I am. The church doing church discipline is primarily about Christ fulfilling what he came to do, which was to produce a holy people so that the knowledge of the glory of the Lord would fill the earth as the waters cover the sea. That's the first purpose of church discipline. And that's the picture here. It's not for the stone to come back in that was carried to the unclean place. It's so that the church can fulfill the role that the church was given to do and to be reconciled back with Christ and it shall be clean. It's required to be clean and he cleanses it through his blood. 
is without the shedding of blood, there is no remission of sin. And through the power of the Holy Spirit, he fixes the problems in the church. That's the great promise of hope. It should be destroyed when the Holy Spirit isn't there, when, when leprosy has taken over the building. But God does heal. That's the great promise. And for 54 through 57, this is the law for any leprosor in scale, for the leprosy of a garment and of a house, for a swelling and a scab and a bright spot, to teach when it is unclean and when it is clean. This is the law of leprosy. So it starts by saying this is the law. This is the statutes that are given. And they're not given so people don't get sick when they're living in houses. They're not given so that people don't, don't spread leprosy from one to another. That's not what these things are about. That's not why God says I gave these. I gave these so that you could understand what it means to be clean and what it means to be unclean. This is not about physical things. This is a picture of spiritual things. That's why he gave it. Because clean and unclean is, is spiritual. They're pictures of spiritual things. Is it any better to eat a lobster than a cow? Or any worse to eat a lobster than a cow? No, it's all about, it's all about pictures so that we can understand what it means to be sinful and what it means to not be sinful. And this is the picture in a church. This is what does it mean for the church to be sinful and for it not to be sinful. So all these things about leprosy, for any leprosor scale, the leprosy that was in people, whether it was in their skin, on their hair, in their he- on their head, all these pictures are about how sin can come in and cause uncleanness to grow by the individuals or by their leaders. Not dealing with it causes the sin to grow. Or for the leprosy of a garment, the garment is a picture of works. The leprosy can be in the works. They can be done with good intentions, but they can still produce sin. If they're producing sin, they should be destroyed. You should try to fix it if you can, but if you can't fix it, it should just be destroyed. That's how seriously God takes sin. Or of a house, the picture of the house is of a local church, where instead of being a place of protection, a place to abide, it becomes a place where sin is spread and it should just be destroyed. It should just be carried outside the city. It should be carried out to an unclean place so everybody understands it's unclean, that it's not actually helping. It's not actually causing God to be known for a swelling, for different kinds of sin, for the puffing up that comes because of sin, a scab because there are still ongoing effects to sin. That's the picture of the scab where you don't call them unclean because they have a scab. Yes, we sinned. Yes, it has ongoing effects that you have to deal with, but it's just a scab if you're not continuing to sin because of it. Or a bright spot, sin that attracts attention because the effects of sin. God gave all these instructions so we know how to deal with it. Because in the end, it's about teaching when, what is clean or when it is unclean. So we can understand the sin that will spread, the sin that will affect others. And it's important to recognize this. God gives like really serious warning about this. Like in Mark nine forty-two, But whoever causes one of these little ones who believe in me to stumble, it would be better for him if a millstone were hung around his neck and he were thrown into the sea. The leprosy laws are to help us so that we don't cause little ones to stumble. What would be better for us just to be thro- have a millstone tied around our neck and thrown into the sea? 
It's so easy for us to take sin lightly. And God is saying, do not take sin lightly. As a priest, that is your job, to not take sin lightly, especially among those who claim to be the people of God. The leprosy laws are to understand how to make sure we're not spreading errors, how to make sure that we're not walking in the flesh, that we're walking in the spirit, how to deal with it when those things happen, because they will happen. There will be sin in the church. How do you deal with it when there's sin in the church? Because it's protecting against that sin. It's protecting against that sin when there's sin in the ministry. It's protecting against that sin when there's a person who's a leader, right? The, the picture of the leprosy in the head where the leader is sinful and he's causing everybody else to sin. It's how do you deal with these things so people can understand what's unclean and when it's clean. We need to understand when it won't hurt, when there's healing from leprosy. Because Christ died so that lepers could be healed. We're all lepers that he's cleansed. We all have scabs because of sin. If all these things made us unclean, we'd all be declared unclean. That's not the point. The point is, when will it cause other people to stumble? When will it cause other people to, that leprosy will spread, will affect others? God gives all these rules so we can go, yeah, that's safe. That's not safe. So that sin doesn't spread and the leaven is put out of the lump. This is the law of leprosy. Remember the commandment given to Aaron in Leviticus 10, 8 through 11, right after he was consecrated as a priest. Then the Lord spoke to Aaron saying, Do not drink wine or intoxicating drink, you nor your sons with you, when you go into the tabernacle of meeting, lest you die. It shall be a statute forever throughout your generations that you may distinguish between holy and unholy, between unclean and clean, that you may teach the children of Israel all the statutes which the Lord has spoken to them by the hand of Moses. The duty of a priest is to understand the difference between the clean and the unclean and to declare it to other people. That's what the laws of leprosy are about. So we know how to say that's clean, that's unclean. And so that that the believers in this room can teach others and declare this is what it looks like. Don't think this passage is for leaders. This passage is for every Christian. The priesthood of all believers is very significant. We've been talking about a lot through Hebrews, and it definitely applies here. It's not somebody else's responsibility. When God reveals sin to you, it's your responsibility. Let me give you a few applications. One, God would prefer churches where their serious false doctrines are held or where sin is protected under the name of Christ. He commands those to be destroyed. And we don't destroy them by like going and putting a bomb there. We don't destroy them by burning them to the ground. That's not the way that they're supposed to be destroyed. The way that they're supposed to be destroyed is by shining forth light. Because it's light that will destroy the darkness. God wants them outside of the pale of the visible church. It's easy to forget that God says there must be divisions among you so that you can know who is approved. The division should result in people saying either this is a church and that is not a church or saying neither of these are churches. 
But God creates the divisions, not just so we can go, oh, isn't that wonderful? They divided. That's not why God created divisions. He created divisions so that you can know who's in the clean place and who's in the unclean place. And I think too often we go, that's not why he creates divisions. No, that is why. So that you can know who is approved. Because God wants those churches destroyed that are blaspheming his name, that aren't dealing with sin. Because his name is made great when people see that you are hallowed before them. That's when his name is made great. And so God creates division. God creates, puts sin in the church so the church can decide, am I going to be a holy people? Or am I going to be a church that just be torn down to the ground? When sinners associate their sin with Christ, his, then his name is not made great. And it's our duty as the body of Christ, as the bride of Christ, to make his name great. That's what we're supposed to be doing. That's what he leaves us here to do. So a related application, we're not to be lukewarm towards false churches. The point of the church is to cause the world to see the greatness of the name of God. And there's all these churches that pretend to be Christian. But the God that they worship is far from the God of the Bible. It's not pleasing to God. He's a jealous God. And he sent his spirit so that his name would be glorified. He says, look, this is why I gave you a new heart. This is why I gave you a new spirit. So that... That when I am hallowed in you before their eyes... The nation shall know that I am Lord. When he produces a holy people, that's when the nations know that he is Lord. We should take seriously the blaspheming of the name of God, as seriously as he did. He took it seriously enough that he sent the Roman army to make sure that not one stone remained upon another in the temple. That's how, how much more serious could he take it than that? He scattered the Jews. He caused the Holocaust. So that people would go, this is what happens when you won't deal with sin. This is what happens when you embrace leprosy rather than destroy leprosy. This is how seriously we are to take false churches. To be lukewarm towards them is to not be like Christ. That's what he would do to... I mean, he sent the Babylonian army in. That's what he did to, to those who didn't have Christ. As we talked about in Hebrews 10, he says, how much more? You read the law of Moses, and look, people died on two or three witnesses. How much worse will it be for those who trample the blood of Jesus Christ underfoot? That's what God did to Israel. He sent in the Assyrian army. He sent in the Babylonian army. He sent in the Roman army. What do you think he'll do to the church since he sent his spirit? We're trampling the blood of Jesus Christ underfoot. God is much more serious about sin in his church than he was in Israel, and he destroyed Israel. Another application, it's easy with the picture of leprosy. To think, of course, we'll, we'll make the sacrifice. We'd get rid of the house. It's disease-riddled. Who would want it? If it won't go away and it keeps coming back. God gave us this picture 
Because if it's physical, most people would go, if the house is rotting and you can't get rid of the rot, just tear down the house. But that's how we're supposed to be thinking spiritually. He gave us this physical picture that you've seen people that moved out of their house because they couldn't get rid of the mold. That wasn't even red or green mold. And God gives that picture so that we can go, that's how we're supposed to be thinking about spiritual sin. That's about how we're supposed to be thinking about, about spiritual leprosy, about spiritual mold. It's easy to, when you have a physical focus to say, of course, you want to, want to tear down the house. But we're supposed to say, how much more serious is it when it's spiritual? In this passage, God is giving us a very graphic reminder of how we should think of serious sin in the church. The owner of the house is saying it's worth tearing down, destroying the whole thing. That that's the only way to get rid of the sin, and he's more than happy to tear down the house to do it. Another application, with the priesthood of all believers, we need to recognize that all of us will be judged for the church that we attend. Not, not before the sin is exposed, not before the heresy is exposed, but when it is exposed. If it's not dealt with properly, if it's not actually removed from the church, if it's allowed to continue to grow, God says everyone in there is taken out to an unclean place. Every stone. The person who goes, well, you know, the leadership was dealing with it, but I didn't do anything. God says they go to hell. That's the picture. With the priesthood of all believers, nobody's allowed to sit back and say, I don't have responsibility here. Everybody has to say, I have responsibility. Everybody has to say, I'll be held accountable for what happens here. (coughs) All the stones get carried out. You don't go, oh wait, there's some stones in that corner that they were far away from it. The answer is they're part of the house. They bear guilt. No Christian can say it's other people's responsibility. Another application, the church is to produce a holy people. When it fails to do that, when it cannot deal with sin in such a way that it puts the sin out from itself, where it removes the stone and scrapes the plaster then the structure of the church needs to be done away with. It needs to change. We need to look. And I remember after the split that caused Reformation, we went back through all the documents and said, this structure, it's got problems in the structure. And if you don't fix the structure, if you don't fix the Constitution, if you don't fix the covenant, we should expect this to come back. That's what the church needs to do. They need to go, wait a second, how did we get to this point? And the answer is, Well, you fix the thing so that you don't get to the point again. Otherwise, you deserve to have the leprosy come back. God put his church in place so that he would be hallowed in Christians, so that the world would see and understand he's God. When it cannot do that, the structure of the church has problems, and it either needs to be changed or it needs to be torn down. Another application, we have a real duty to other people in the visible church to make it known when there are false churches. 
When God is not hallowed in them, it is a false church and it needs to be made known that they're outside the city, that they're not part of spiritual Israel. We need to not be ashamed, not be, not be silent. It is so easy for us to just go, well, that's not really my problem. And the answer is it is your problem. This is about the glory of Christ. It's your problem. We have a duty to actually say things and not just go, ah. That's not taking sin seriously the way God takes sin seriously. Another application, and I still have a few more. Churches should not hide sin. And said they should deal with sin and expose it. The nations understand the glory of God when his people are hallowed. When they're made holy. Not when they appear to be holy. Not when they have a superficial holiness. But when the Holy Spirit is really working there, when they're really being made holy, and the way they're made holy is by dealing with sin, not pretending like it doesn't exist. Many churches say we need to hide sin so that people don't get the wrong impression about the greatness of God, about the holiness of God. But it's the exposure of sin that actually causes people to understand the greatness of God. When it's exposed and it's dealt with, that's when people see the glory of God. When he is hallowed in us, that's when they see the glory of God. And too often... The church goes, oh no, we don't want people to think that God isn't powerful, so we'll pretend like God isn't powerful because he can't actually deal with sin, so we'll hide the sin. Well, guess what? Nobody thinks God is great when the church says we have to pretend to be holy, we can't expose our sin. It's actually when God deals with sin and removes sin from the church that people go, God is holy, God is powerful, God is mighty, God is able to do things. It's when it stays there that it doesn't. So there's churches that use that as an excuse all the time. I've heard that so many times where they go, oh, we can't expose that. People will say, oh, look, God isn't powerful. Well, you're saying God isn't powerful. Instead of saying Jesus Christ came so that the church could be pure. He came and he died for the local church so that the church could be set free from the bondage of sin. Church that wants to hide sin, to say that they're doing it for the glory of God, they're lying. They're not doing it for the glory of God. They're doing it for their own comfort. They're doing it for their own whatever purposes. God is glorified when church deals with sin and people go, I wouldn't have done that. And God is hallowed in us and people see that and they see God is different than the world. To reiterate an application from last week, when a church is dealing with serious sin in its midst, sin that involves not only truly being part of the people of God, the church should not be trying to recruit others. It needs to recognize how easy when it's dealing with sin, how easily it can negatively impact others. Other people had to wash their clothes. They, had to, they were unclean. They should be telling people, don't visit here. They should be discouraging visitors from coming. Because when they come, they'll be affected. They'll be tainted by the sin. If there's work to be done, for instance, the person, the priest doing the examination, he would become unclean too. It's valid to, to involve people that need to do the work. 
But when you involve people that need to be the work, nobody should be deceived. They will be affected by the sin. That's how it works. They need to make sure that after they deal with the sin, that they clean their garments. Another application, Christ's sacrifice was greater than just to save sinners. Christ sacrificed and took on sins that there be a holy body, that there be a people that walked in holiness so that the nation saw it. He paid the bride price so that the whole church could be saved, but he also died for the local church so that, so that the local church would be a light, so that the local church would show the righteousness and holiness and goodness of God. All these things, Christ did all of it through his sacrifices. We need to be careful not to limit the scope of what Christ did. Christ died so that local churches can walk in righteousness. And a corollary to that is that Christ will cleanse the local churches. We're in a season of the kingdom of God where in a significant majority of the people who call themselves Christians, they have not been cleansed by the blood of Christ. They believe false things that have nothing to do with what Christ says. The percentage of people that actually hold to biblical doctrine compared to call themselves Christians, it's probably... I, I can't believe it's 5% that would even say what the right things are. Not even that they believe them, but they don't even understand the gospel enough to be able to say what's required to be saved. You know, you have to speak in tongues in order to be saved. Do you know how many people believe that? Like a huge number in the world. Probably 100 million people think that. Just to make sure that we understand, this is, this is where we are. This is the season. But that doesn't mean that God won't cleanse his local body. He will. You know, at the time of the Reformation, it was bad. It was like really horrible. But then God sent people, and there became local churches that were faithful, that he cleansed. He will do that again. We should understand the season that we're in, but we should, we should never lose hope. Because Christ died for his local church, and he will cause local churches that are holy and faithful. I know so many people complain that there's no sound churches around. There's many people who struggle to find a church that will submit to the word of God rather than doing what's right in their own eyes. But by faith, we should trust that the season will come. And it will probably come pretty shortly. That Christ will fix the problem. Because he died for his local church and he will cleanse it. There will be a remission of sin in the local church. He died for the local church and not just for individuals. Not just for the universal church. But for the local church as well. Then the last application. God gives all these instructions on leprosy. So we can understand the importance of dealing with sin. Ignoring sin is destructive. To deal with it superficially is destructive. We tend to think other things are more important. Oh, but what about my relationship with that person? I don't want to confront them. But that ministry is doing so much good. The fact that it produces this sin in this area, well, you know, that's part of the cost. They're doing so much good. That church has been there for 50 years. They're part of the community. It can't be destroyed. It can't be torn down. We come up with all kinds of reasons, and the basis of all those reasons is sin doesn't matter that much to us. And that's not what God says. Christ says something very different. 
We're not supposed to look at any of those things and say, don't deal with sin. We're supposed to look at all those things and say, but sin's far more important. Matthew 18, 7 and 9. Woe to the world because of offenses. For offenses must come, but woe to that man by whom the offense comes. If your hand or your foot cause you to sin, cut it off and cast it from you. It is better for you to enter into life lame or maimed rather than having two hands or two feet to be cast into the everlasting fire. And if your eye cause you to sin, pluck it out and cast it from you. It is better for you to enter into life with one eye rather than having two eyes to be cast into hellfire. Dealing with leprosy is a picture of dealing with sin. And we should take these instructions seriously because they're far more important than any of those secondary things that we want to make more important than dealing with sin. God says dealing with sin is worthy of casting off anything, including your eye, including your hand, including your foot. And these passages are about understanding how to do it. We need to take sin as seriously as God takes sin. Let's pray. Oh, Lord God, we do thank you for your word. We thank you that you instruct us. Lord, there is so much here. So much here in these passages, and even as we've taken weeks to go over them, there's so much more that we should think about and that we should consider. Convict our hearts. Convict our hearts of places where we haven't taken sin as seriously as we should, especially in our own lives, especially as we come to the Lord's table. Let us, let us look at what you have said. Let us look at you are producing a holy people. As we come to the Lord's table, let us make sure we discern the Lord's body. For you came so that your name would be hallowed before the nations by you producing holiness in us. May we be a people that walk in holiness for your name's sake. In Jesus Christ's name we pray. Amen.